0: Thank you. You may be seated. Brother Sugum. you make your way right on up here. And I just want to tell each and every one here, it's been a joy and a pleasure to have them in our home this past week. I might just not take them to the airport tomorrow. they would be stuck here a little while longer. (laughs) But we're so thankful for how the Lord's working in their life. And just pray for him. Pray for the ministry there in Trinidad. And uh, may the Lord's blessing be upon you, brother you, Pastor Steve. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer?
1: And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be signed. the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And because of Christ and what he has done, it will be well with our souls. We long for this day when he would return. And while he tarries, our Father, we pray that you would enable us to walk humbly and faithfully before you, loving what you love, hating what you hate. And, O God, yielding to your word and will by the enablement of your Spirit, that we may grow increasingly conformity to Christ graciously forgive me of my sins forgive me for what I am, change my heart O God forgive us of our sins and turn us to you as you graciously turn to us we pray that you would encourage your people that we would walk in the light as you in the light that we may have fellowship with you and with each other for those without Christ, that they would not leave here today, that your Spirit would regenerate them and bring them to repentance and faith, that before they leave here, they would know that they are children of God. Draw near to us, and in your grace, show us your glory, that we may know you and glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. May you open your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 12. We are looking at both chapter 11 and 12, but I want you to open your Bibles to chapter 12. Second Simon twelve thirteen says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. Against the Lord. And those of you who know your Bibles, you would know that Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 were Psalms that were written in connection to David's sin with Bathsheba. And so they are two beautiful Psalms that you may want to keep reading as you think about. Uh, There is a sound there, brother. There's an echo. The feedback uh, as we study this portion. Sin will ruin you. Sin will destroy you. From this crazy notion of a little lie, there is no such thing as a little lie i heard i was told of a little boy who said i know that lying i know that lying is wrong i know that lying is wrong but it is a very present help in the time of trouble sin will destroy you and everything you touch it's not worth it And uh, for those who attempted to commit adultery, who are involved in any forms of immorality, I would tell you, read second Samuel eleven through the end. And if you have any sense at all, you would see how one evening of pleasure ruined lives and a generation to come. Sin, my dear young people, is not worth it. It's never worth it. Well, before we read Second Samuel 12, or at least some verses in it, let me read for you again the New American Standard Bible. I want to read, you can turn there if you want, but I really want you to be in Second Samuel 12. Listen to how the prophet Jeremiah describes Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, had come and captured the city. Now I'm you reading from a version that is different from yours, but I hope you capture the point. You can follow the King James. It's very beautiful. So please follow along. It says, Lamentations 1. How the lonely city sits. How the lonely city sits that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers, referring to the nations with whom she became friends and adopted their idols. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. Is that describing some of you? All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion are, mourning, are in mourning, because no one comes to the appointed feast. All her gates are desolate, her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. And note the second part of verse 5. For the Lord has caused her grief, The Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Who has caused the grief? The surrounding nations? Climate change? Who has caused the grief? The Lord has caused the grief because of the multitude of her transgressions, Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. All her majesty has departed from the door of Zion. Her princes have become like deer that have found no pasture. And they have fled without strength before the pursuer. Now you can read on, but verse 12 is what I just want to point out to you. You can read the entire chapter, 22 verses the, song, the, the writer Jeremiah as if he can't take it in anymore And he begins to weep even more And he says, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? This ruination of Jerusalem, this capturing of Judah And the ensuing suffering. Is it nothing to you. All you who pass this way. Look and see if there is any pain. Like my pain. Which was severely dealt out to me. Which the Lord inflicted. On the day of fierce. On the day of his fierce. Anger. Brethren. The issue with us or the problem with us is not how much money we make or don't make. It's not the family into which we were born. It's not the nation in which we live. It is not the government that is in power. Our most crucial issue is our sins against God. And unless and until we acknowledge that truth with broken hearts and bended knees, we will continue to be like a leaf in the wind blown here and there. Blaming our lives and our circumstances and others and not recognizing that we have sinned against God. Three things as the Lord allows we would look at in 2 Samuel 12. We'll see David's ruination. Then we will see David's restoration. And then we will see David's Redeemer. Under David's ruination, we would see unchecked complacency, unbridled. Covetousness, unashamed concealment, and therefore his unfruitful condition. Well, that will be in chapter eleven. Well, let me read for you from chapter twelve, verses one through fifteen. Then David, then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said. One must understand, David is uh, about to be told a story. The condition of heart and mind that David was in. What Nathan had to say to David, he couldn't just go up and say to him, you have sinned. He might have lost his head. That is, Nathan or David may not have gotten the message. And so he said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he wasn't willing to take from his own flock or his own herd. Now this story is ridiculous, isn't it? To prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, now that is like it pronounced in a solid, irrefutable, unstoppable judgment. As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this thing deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. He did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan said to David, you, you are the man. I don't think he needed to shout. The Spirit of God is so powerful that He needs only to whisper into our consciences. Verse 7 uh, You are the man, thou says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, David, I would have added to you many more things like these. Now note, you'll see it mentioned in verse 9 and 10. Why have you despised? Does that remind you of anything? What did, what, what did Michal do in 2 Samuel 6 When David danced before the Lord She despised David Now David Why have you despised the word of the Lord You're doing the same thing By doing evil in, the, in his sight You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword Have taken his wife to be your wife And have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon That's Israel's enemy Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Again the word is shown up. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad delight. I wonder if Nathan had said it would be Absalom, what how David would have reacted at this point. His own son. In an incestuous relationship. And not in secret like David did, but on a broad, well, I should say big screen TV on a billboard the side of all Israel. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, verse 13, I have sinned. How oh, we could have stopped there and noticed the rest of the words of the sentence. I have sinned against the Lord. I May I run ahead of myself here when we sin even when we do wrong to others ultimately we sin against God you remember Psalm 51 if time allows us against thee and thee only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight and and Nathan's Nathan said to David, The Lord also, this is remarkable, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, to speak evil of God and his children and his ways. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house, and I could imagine that godly prophet being of a heavy heart and one that would lead him to be much in prayer. Now well, my Bible is closed but I have my scriptures here, okay. Uh, why did David do what he did? Second Psalm 11 says that it happened, verse 1, in the spring, when the time, at the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabba. but David stayed at Jerusalem. The but there serves as a contrast. And it's quite informative because it's saying, well, Joab went out to war, the army went out to war. It was the opportune time for kings to go out to war. But in contrast to the norm, in contrast to what was necessary for this king to lead his army, David stayed at home at Jerusalem. We're looking at David's ruination, and I want to ask a question. Was David just tired? Was David just tired? After years of running from Saul and facing so many dangers, now that he was able, could it be that he just needed to rest? Being tired, brethren, is not a sin. But if you're not careful... Being tired can create an opportunity to sin. It can create an opportunity to sin, especially if it turns into idleness. We all get tired. I believe many pastors have fallen into sin and fallen away from the ministry because they were overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated, and they had no one to rely on. Good men ruined because of tiredness, which in and of itself is not a problem, but in the tiredness they became vulnerable to sin. Just to let you know, do you know how much time they give us pastors and our staff back home, do you know which time they give us off for the year? One month. I think that's great. Now if due to necessity we need uh, more time, they will. In fact, coming here to preach I was clearly told that's not considered a vacation. When you come back, then your vacation will start. I appreciate that. Now we can do that because we have three pastors and staff, full-time, and two ministerial trainees who are also full-time, while studying with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'm thankful to God for that because... Believe it or not, we need at times to get rest. And I do not mean the cessation of activity. I mean we need to simply not have the pressure of handling situation after situation and preaching service after service where we can simply take time away with God and our families and feed our souls with no pressure. And you see, we become far more effective in the Lord's work. So, I know you give him two months off. <laughs> but please, consider him who said, come apart and rest. The old Baptist preacher, I love what he said, Vance Havner said, that's exactly what you need to do. He said, come apart and rest. Because if you don't come apart, you will come apart. But why did David sin? Was David just not complacent and worn out because of victory after victory? You know, he had a lot of medals to pin on. And so he had David' life, in spite of all that he had been through... He was successful, They use that term very carefully. All Saul's attempt to kill him did not succeed, and David won battle after battle, even when he lived for a while in the land of the Philistine under Achish. David was what you'd consider to be a successful man, and even successful people become tired and need rest David was successful in so many ways when as a teenager he slew Goliath keep in mind before slaying Goliath he would talk about how he protected the flock how whenever a lion or bear would come out against them he would against the flock he would and they capture a lamb he would go after them and with his own hands he would rescue the lamb out of their mouths well he did slay Goliath he took down that giant. And he took down many giants. He had opportunities to kill Saul when Saul pursued him. And as I said, God put an end to that and God reversed it. Instead, David had the opportunity to finish off Saul. We're not going to go over that. In all his military campaigns, David enjoyed success after success. But something happened. In a crucial moment when he should be out fighting, it is said, but he stayed at home. Now, I want to contrast this with Uriah. I know we'll meet Uriah. Do you know that Uriah was one of David's mighty men? Uriah wasn't an ordinary soldier. But look at uh, how Uriah behaves when David would eventually send for him from battle. Look at how Uriah behaves. In contrast to David. Uh, he comes back home. He, David asks him about the state of the war. Verse 18 of chapter 11. Now David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And the fact that David was able to see Bathsheba from his rooftop. Means that they didn't live that very far. But So David says to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. Verse 9, but, But, (laughs) in contrast to David, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house till all the servants of his lord, sorry, with all the servants of his lord, and did not go to his house. This is abnormal. You've been away from your wife. You've been away from your home. The first thing you want to do is to go home. But so committed was Uriah to God and country and king that he refused to go home even to see his beautiful wife. She's described as a gorgeous woman. Verse 10. Now they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said, Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And here's what Uriah said in verse 11. The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Job and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life, I swear, and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here again, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. He did not go to his house. And then verses 13. Now David called him, and he ate and drank uh, before him, and he made him what? drunk so David felt maybe if I get this man drunk and I, I could impair his sense of responsibility and I could make him loose in his values and he will go home and thereby his now pregnant wife we can blame the pregnancy on Uri, and that will be the end of the story he made David drunk he made Uriah drunk sorry and in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his lord's servants and notice again this is the end of verse 13 but he did not go down to his house why does the spirit of god lead the writer of second samuel to make such a contrast but david stayed at home but uriah did not go home Someone has rightly said that Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober. How could such a great man like David reach to such a state of complacency, of carelessness? Have you ever wondered of Christians you have known? I could tell you stuff, but this is broadcasted on Facebook. And some of you have been around long enough to know, how could such a mighty person fall? How could such one who once preached in the power of the Spirit, how could such a one whom God used to bring many to Christ, how could such a one fall to such depths of sin? Well, it begins with a little stroll on the house top roof. It begins with a little carelessness. Listen Keep in mind Luke 4.13 When the devil had finished every temptation he left him, Jesus, until an opportune time. Something we must underline in our Bibles. Don't think that Jesus was just tempted for those 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards that was it. God is ever present in the life of a believer. Satan is never absent. In the life of a believer, he's never absent. And here Luke tells us that Satan loved Jesus for a moment, but he was there seeking every opportunity to get Jesus to fall. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the truth that Satan is never absent from church? Never absent from your home, never absent from your marriage, never absent from the lives of your children. But he is looking for opportunity to trip them, make them fall and ruin their souls. Proverbs 24.30 says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it, I looked and received instruction. What did he learn from this ruined vineyard? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a rubber and your want like an armed In other words, a little neglect of God's word here and there, a little neglect of prayer, a little neglect of church fellowship, a little neglect of communion with God. And before you know it, you're an overgrown garden, the walls are broken down, you're vulnerable to sin and Satan, and right where you thought you never would have been, that's where you are. Overwhelmed by sin, given in to sin, no resistance to sin, and totally useless to the things of God. In that state of mind, you are a gossip, you are bitter, you are a slanderer, you are an unbeliever in your ways. You are blaming everything and everyone, not realizing that you had opened the door by a little bit of carelessness. Peter tells us to be sober of spirit, to be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to vote. That's a frightening scene. He's not in his den sleeping as we would expect. He's on the hunt. It's a picture of Satan. He's called your adversary. He's the diabolos. He is one intent on evil. But resist him. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Resist him requires effort. What about Ephesians 6? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in God's strength. Put on the full arm of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Satan methodically plans his attack. Satan methodically puts things in place. He is a master tactician. People think we have a word, I don't know if you'll use it here, People think that Satan operates vikey-vike. You know, just like, as we say, by vaps. Again, I may lose you there. But it means half-hazardly, hazard, half As if Satan just simply goes about, you know, no, 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 no. Have you considered my servant, Job? And if you look at that dialogue there, you will see he Job is serving you, Job, Job is loving you because. Satan had already examined Job and Satan studied his case. And so when God presented Job to Satan, Satan was able to present a case to God. You might think me a little bit, exagger- I think I'm exaggerating some. But let me tell you this: I think that enemy has a file on every one of us, and he may know us better than we know ourselves. Have you ever noticed the times you have fallen, and then you could, if you were to take time and think, and you should, you will see there was a pattern to that fall just doesn't happen. So we see complacency led David to stay at home. Secondly unbridled covetousness. God had supplied all David's needs. As you would see in 2nd Samuel 7 when the, when God established that Davidic covenant with David he says uh, Sorry, not. We, God said, I'll give you a throne that will remain forever. In 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan would rebuke David, God would say to David, I gave you such and such. That's a powerful scripture. He said, I gave you such and such, and if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. I find that humbling I have blessed you with your enemy's property. I have blessed you in being king over the nation. I have given you a kingdom where one of your descendants would reign forever and ever. And if you wanted anything else, I would have given it to you. David was covetous. From a background of shepherding a few sheep, from being his the cardboy boy for his brothers, David rose to prominence because of the grace and good hand upon him. But David saw a beautiful woman, and David wanted that beautiful woman. What David is about to do was a violation of everything David had believed in. Keep in mind, as you read Psalms 119, you'll find out, you get a distinct impression that David most likely knew the entire first five books of the Bible for memory. Here is a man who was saturated with the Word of God, and Brother Josh, we talked again about Psalms 1. Here was a man who delighted in the law of the Lord. Here's a man who said in Psalm 119 that he anticipated the night watches that he might meditate in God's word. Here's a man, wherever you cut him, he would bleed the Bible. God had filled his thoughts through his word. And so he would have known where God says in Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In other words, leave it alone. Don't let your desire cause you to take what is not yours. Long for what is not yours. Take our minds back to Achan and Joshua 7 where he brought about the death Of 36 men when they went to fight against Ai. All because he coveted the Babylonian garments and other stuff. And buried it in the midst of his tent as if God can't see. God abandoned his people and what should have been an easy victory. Ended up with 36 men losing their lives. And what... When the confession was brought about, Achan said, I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. The heart of man is never satisfied. Talmud shared sometimes someone might be, you might be driving out, I've never had the opportunity to do that. If I try that, I'll be arrested. But you're driving out with a brand new car out of the showroom. You just bought it. It's everything you wanted. And you sit in this car, and you're driving out, and as you're driving out, you notice there is a new model there. can I sell this one? Get that one. See, you just got everything you wanted. But the heart of man is deceitful, never content. And so David had Ahinoam, he had Abigail, he had Meacca, who was actually a princess, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur, he had Haggit, he had Abital, he had Egla, and he also had Mikal. In other words, David had wives, and he had concubines. And believe me, those kings, those guys didn't marry any and every woman. You had to be model material. best was chosen. In fact, later on in life, for those of you who read, when Abishag was brought in to keep David warm, she was a gorgeous woman, so much so that Adonijah, after David's death, he asked her if he could get her as his wife. That's crook that he was. But you see, complacency and covetousness are dangerous allies. What caused David to commit the sin? And I have to speed on. Was it arrogance and a sense of all-powerfulness? Was it the fact that he had indeed won all these many victories, these many battles, and now he could sit back and take it easy, like the man in Luke 12 who says, "Well, my field have brought forth abundantly. I know what I will do. I will break down my bands. I'll bring. I'll build bigger bands, and I will. And I will. And I will. And I will establish." my presence, and I'll say to my soul, a fool, God will call him, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. He said, it is not to be this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Matthew 20, 20, it reads, it has application here, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, Jesus saying, don't, You, don't be like the rulers of the Gentiles who seek others to serve them. You rather deacon to others. That's literally what it says. He says, I came not to be deaconed to, but to deacon to others. I came not to be served, but to serve. David apparently forgot that. The kings of Israel were not meant to be glorified as the great ones. They were meant to be servant of the people. Now I'm going to say something. We're trying to establish why David committed such a great sin. Next possibility is this. Was it because of his falling out with Michal? Now I I mentioned to someone that there may not be a chronological connection because what happened with Michal happened in 2 Samuel 6. This is sometime afterwards with David's fall with Bathsheba chapter 11. Is there chronological? Can we say, well, David and Michal had a big fight and so he went out and went driving around in the city and he picked up. No, no, no. There isn't a chronological connection per se, but there is a logical connection. Michal was David's first true love when restored to his kingship who was about to be restored, he made sure he got Mikal. They had a big argument which you saw last Sunday morning. And so the woman that he still loved, there was a break in the relationship and a bad break. She I believe David did not want intimacy with her at all. Whether that is right or wrong, I cannot say at this point. What I would say is this. That whenever there is discord in the marital relationship, it makes the spouse, either spouse, vulnerable to sin. It makes you vulnerable. You see, while we cannot make each other happy, only God can do that. If we tried to, if my wife and I tried to make each other happy, we would make each other crazy. We can't do that. Only God can. But you see, what you find here in this, in this passage is that there is a logical connection. When there is discord in the marriage, the spouse becomes vulnerable to temptation on the outside. That is why, when there is discord within the marriage, it should be resolved as soon as is possible because you create the possibility of further disaster. Don't think, well, I, I, it's okay if I remain angry for a week, he, he wouldn't mind. Now, some men will be glad because they can watch sports or <laughs> do whatever the woman. but in, in reality, it doesn't work that way. Sin, more sin has happened in homes, I believe, because the spouses do not reconcile themselves to God and to each other. And that discord, that disunion, makes them vulnerable. And what they never thought they would do, the seed is soon and they find themselves getting involved in extramarital affairs because what they're not getting in their marriage, they're looking for on the outside. Do you know... I am of the firm belief, unless you are up to no devil, that no man sets out having an affair just like that, nor a woman. It may happen; it may begin innocently enough. So there is a connection, if not a chronological, definitely a logical. May I just pause here? Uh, I've lost track of time. I know I've been speaking for at least five minutes. Uh, Go home and make right with your spouse. Don't make excuses. If you have to ask forgiveness, get on your knees and ask for forgiveness. Pride will ruin you just like it ruined Satan and ruined Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever it takes, you read biblical counsel, get it. But don't you dare allow discord to continue in your home because you are setting yourself up for your own self and your spouse for sin and the judgment that inevitably follows. I may ask you another question. How do you think you'd pray if you had war with your spouse well it sticks to the roof God says so well with this speed it was in the final analysis whatever the factors complacency covetousness whatever may have been the cause or causes of David staying at home and then falling into sin, the real reason was simply David had indwelling sin in him. He had a fallen, sinful nature. So he had no one else to blame. He could not have blamed it on staying home. He not, that, that would have contributed. He could not have blamed it. On discontentment, that's part of the sin. He could not blame it on his falling out with Michal. The real reason David sinned is because David wanted to sin. For from from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Matthew 7, Mark 7, sorry, 21 to 23. From, from, with sin. In other words, David did what he did because David wanted to do what he did. And you know what this reveals? David's to be in the condition where David had to covet another man's wife, one of his mighty men, David had to send for her and have her brought, and David found out who she was, and then to commit adultery with her. And then, when she was pregnant, to try to pin the pregnancy on a faithful, loyal soldier, bringing him from war. For David to go through all that, and then try to pin the pregnancy on Uriah, and then when that didn't work, David had him go back into battle and had Job set him up so that Uriah was killed in battle because he was ambushed by his own men. For David to do all that revealed that David had long strayed from the Lord. He was going to the temple, he was offering sacrifices, he was worshiping the God, but he was going through the motions of it. You see, long before David fell, he had fallen. You need to understand this. When we see someone commit what we call gross sin, we think, how could he do such a thing? Just yesterday he was in church, or he was teaching a Sunday school class, or he preached a sermon. When we see all these things, we say, well, how could that happen as if it happened overnight? Sin of this nature never happens overnight. You have to be progressively falling To fall. Now, there was unashamed concealment. David sinned, and as I mentioned, he tried to pin the pregnancy on Uriah, that didn't work. Then he had Uriah put to death, and then he simply Took the man's wife to be his wife after a period of mourning. But see, the Bible is clear that the thing which David did displeased the Lord. He may have covered his sin, he may have covered his tracks, he may have felt he had removed all the evidences, but David, what David did, displeased the Lord. David had abused his authority, he had conspired with Joab, he had Uriah set up to be killed. And therefore, he brought into the play Joab, a man that was his first cousin to his sister Zeruiah. So he had Uriah involved and implicated, and I'll tell you what happened. David could never carry a judgment against Joab. You know when Joab will be executed? In the lifetime of Solomon. Because Joab was a bloodthirsty man. You see, not only was Uriah brought into sin, and not only were other soldiers killed, when you read 2 Samuel 11, you would see other soldiers in setting up Uriah to be put to death, other soldiers were killed. Not only that, you will find out later on when Absalom would rebel against his father, stage a coup, and try to take over the kingdom. Do you know who sided with Absalom? Ahithophel. Do you know who Ahithophel was? He was one of the wisest men. The Bible says that to get counsel from Ahithophel was as if you got counsel from God. Why did Ahithophel... ...joined with Absalom... ...because his granddaughter was Bathsheba. And he knew David abused his authority. She was the daughter of Eliam... ...Ahithophel's son. And so... ...David... ...broke the heart of his trusted advisor... ...and Ahithophel had it in for David... ...and therefore when he had the opportunity... He sided with David's enemy. He made enemy with his friend. What did David forget? And I'm going to just wrap this up here because to be honest with you, while you've been very patient for the last weeks or last services, I don't want to take advantage of that. So, What did David forget that made him sin? What do you and I forget? David forgot Psalm 139, which he wrote, verse 12, which says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are light to you. In other words, God sees in the dark. Someone says what you truly are is what you are where no one is looking. David had reached the depths of the ungodly because David had long been progressing on that slippery slope God had blessed him. God had established him by defeating his enemies and enthroning him on the throne of Israel. And now that he was seated there, secure in his position, David became complacent and his heart being filled with everything but God, he began to long. Here is the paradox. He's filled but he's empty because what he's filled with it's a sense of power and accomplishment. What he's empty of is fellowship with God and that's a dangerous place to be. Have you ever noticed? Now, nobody here looks very, very wealthy. <laughs> but, so I could take this chance. But have you ever noticed how immoral a lot of wealthy people are? Because in spite of all that they have, they have nothing. The material things, the glory, the recognition does not fill you. They are idols, they are not real, they are man-made. What fills you is the knowledge that Christ died for your sins and He now lives in you. The one who has the Son has life and He has life in all its fullness. David would pray in that very same Psalm, the beautiful song we sang Search me O God and know my heart Try me and know my anxious Thought and see if there be any Hurtful way in me and lead me in The everlasting way. I suggest that David Had put that Psalm away Just like we put our Bibles Away when we are positioning Ourselves to sin Or just like when we listen But we don't hear because our minds Already made up for our path. That is not pleasing to God. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. David had put himself in the line of fire because he was going against God. Now David found himself in a rather unfruitful condition. David would be restored, we know. Let me just say this to you this morning. Sin will ruin you. And if you're going in that direction, with all your heart and mind and soul, cry out to God to stop you, if you can't stop yourself. sin will not only ruin you, it will ruin your family. It can ruin your church. First, 2 Samuel 12, the sword will not depart from your house. In other words, you had a man executed by the the sword of Ammon, the Ammonites, an innocent, good, mighty man. Now, I will bring that sword where there will be execution in your own home. What happened Amnon will rape Tamar. Absalom will kill Amnon. Then Absalom would stage a coup and overthrow his own father. Sin has unending consequences unless we immediately turn to God. I would close here would you say like the prodigal son I will arise and go to my father if you're a child of God see years ago I saw a bumper sticker there are a lot of things you see on a bumper sticker that you really can't read in a church but on the bumper sticker it was a simple little truth and the bumper sticker said God allows U turns. God allows U turns. In other words, you can turn around. We call you to return to God. David said, I have sinned when confronted by the prophet. And the prophet immediately pronounced, you have been forgiven. Psalm 51 and 32, as I mentioned, fleshes that out for us. Where David simply says, have mercy upon me, O God. Would you say that to him? Have mercy upon me. Be gracious to me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and sin. Would you say that to him? And your forgiveness has been made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May God restore you to him. Let us pray. And our Father, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, here is my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here I raise my a Hither by thy help I come. Oh God, indeed let your grace and goodness like a fetter bind our hearts to you. Forgive us of our sins. Give us broken contrite hearts and Lord lead us afresh to you restoring us to fellowship and to faithfulness that we may bring forth fruit that the locusts have eaten we may bring forth fruit of the praise and glory of your name Christ's name Amen
0: Thank you. My brother, the word of the Lord has been revealed. If you need to make things right with him, we give you an opportunity with a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand and sing in a moment, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you have never publicly professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the opportunity to do that. If you do not have a home church and you're not serving the Lord through the church this is an opportunity to do that. If you've never followed the Lord in obedience to his command in baptism, that's an opportunity to do that. If your relationship with the Lord, you have drifted and the fellowship is broken because of sin, as so clearly was mentioned in the message, you need to turn your eyes toward Jesus. So let's stand and sing. I pray you respond as the Lord leads. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.